Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode five of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. For over 20 years, Latini Creative Solutions has had experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your messages. From supporting and energizing your established brand to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. And I can tell you from personal experience that they are awesome. I say that because they have helped me rebrand with the podcast and the new company and cocktails in the war room. And everything looks fantastic. And as you'll hear later on in this episode, there is a fan in Daryl McDaniels of the new Mistress Carrie logo. So if you think that your company could use a digital overhaul and you want to make it look more streamlined, more highly designed, and uh, have your entire message be uniform, Latini Creative Solutions can do that for you. And you can find out how at latinicreative.com. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by RPM Dynamics. Now, my friend Jim Rose, I have known him, it's got to be over 25 years. We were roadies together before I was even a DJ on the radio. Jim is that guy that is so meticulous with what he does that every time someone else has that oh shit moment when something doesn't work, they call Jim. I know this to be true. Because I have called Jim on more than one occasions when I have had equipment that I couldn't get to work. And he always figures out how to make it work and how to make it sound amazing. And especially right now that we are in phase three of the reopening and outdoor entertainment venues are now open for business, maybe you want to create one of those, but you want it to sound really good. That's why you need to call RPM Dynamics. Call Jim and ask him how he can help you. Go to rpmdynamics.com to find out how. Okay, this episode of the podcast, I can't wait for you to hear. Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC is a rock and roll Hall of Fame inductee. He is a pioneer in music, not only in hip hop, but in bridging the gap to rock and roll and helping to inspire an entire genre of music with rap rock. We'll talk about it in this episode. The countless bands that have been inspired by the sheer originality of a band and an artist like Run DMC. 
Daryl McDaniels has encyclopedic knowledge of rock and roll. He loves music. You can hear his passion in this interview. I love talking to him. He was the first guest on my old podcast when I was still on the radio, and I am so happy that he has joined me now on my new podcast to be one of my first guests as well. So please enjoy this episode because here he is, the great, the king, DMC, Daryl McDaniels. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Daryl! Hey, Mr. Scary. What's happening? The legend, the king of rock. I miss you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, looking at all the circumstances and the situation with the pandemic, but otherwise, I'm good healthy, not sick, and family's good. Well, that, we got to start there. You and I have been friends for a very long time, and I am so honored to call you, who is rock and roll royalty, a friend, and I am so grateful that you agreed to be on my new podcast. This is amazing. Congratulations. And... It's one of the things that came out of my lockdown because of the virus. So that's where I got to start with you. So how has it been for you riding out everything with the coronavirus? And and where did you do it? I've been at home here in New Jersey. The first three days, I was full of anxiety. Oh, my God. My career's over. What I'm going to do? I'm not working. How am I going to pay the bills? Am I going to die? What's up with my family? Oh, my God. All this panic. You and I were having the exact same experience. Yeah, anxiety about life and survival. And my son, what does this mean to mankind? Like, I went far. It started with personal, and then it expanded into... This is a historic change that I'm living for. They're going to read about this in the history books. All of this panic. But then by the third day, a peace and calm came over me. And in the midst of all this pandemic, pandemonium, um, confusion, anxiety, 
I found myself back in my room when I was 12 years old. Because I used to be in a house all the time, reading my comic books, watching my favorite TV shows, Bugs Bunny, Brady Bunch, Adam's Family, Wednesday Adams. Wednesday <laughs> Adams, my pug. Yeah. Um, watching um, my favorite monster, the, 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 the black and white horror, Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mummy, Godzilla. So I found myself back in my room in Hollis when I was 12 years old going, it's going to be all right. Everything necessary for, for, my, for my survival and my friends and family's survival I got it in here. I found myself writing my rhymes. I wrote 50 new songs just to write them. Then I realized, oh, the fact that I got them, I'm prepared for when this thing turns itself around. So in the midst of all the anxiousness and anxiety, I realized that everything I was doing, nobody did it for me anyway. Those things existed because of me. So I just got into this creative zone of working on songs just because it made me feel good. It didn't make me think about the worry. And then after I finished that, I was sitting there and was like, oh, I have a comic book. I got to come up with ideas and stories for the comic book. So I was able to apply my feelings now to be the, the blueprints and the storylines of the new music in a comic book. And then I realized everybody's in the same position. The mighty king of rock is just like those people that got furloughed. The mighty king of rock is just like the people that got laid off. I'm like those people whose companies don't exist no more. Or their radio stations don't exist All no more. All the radio stations don't exist no more. So we're in a period of innovation um, we got to be clever. We got to be um, enthusiastic about the future because those are the things that will help. You have a right to those feelings of panic and anxiousness and all of that. You got to respect your feelings. You have them for a reason. But you also have to realize that whatever you was doing prior to this, you now can still do something, even if it's different, but now this is a check of sense to do even more. So Ms. Carrie, once I got to that, I was like, okay, I now have to figure out how to get tricky out. Before I had help, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had management and I had a label and a staff. Now it's all on me. But I notice as frustrating and scary as it is, oh, Carrie, it's a lot of fun. That's the thing that will get you through. That's the thing that helps. I've been sober for 15 years. So the excitement of having to do something keeps me from drinking. Because if I sit here and worry, oh my God, what? I can't call Eric every minute. Eric, what's going to be like three months from now? You know what I'm saying? I got to be prepared for the three months from now. 
Eric, for so, anybody that doesn't know, is oh, yeah. is the guy that, I mean, you would be lost without your wife and Eric. Between those yes. two people, they yep. keep you organized yep. and and working. Purpose. Purpose. Focus. And Eric yeah. is the guy that coordinates yeah. all of the logistics of your professional yep. life. And, you know, you'd be lost yeah. without him. Yeah, so, you know, that's how I've been getting through these last couple of months. Just, okay, I wake up, see what's happening in the world. And then I look, I, I, I prioritize, I look at my itinerary and then say, okay, if this happens next week, am I prepared? I don't know what's going to happen next next week, but am I prepared for whatever is going to happen? Am I going to be ready in six months when we can start doing live shows again? Am I now? I got to even work. I got to even be more um, innovative on how I promote my music and all of that. So it's been a struggle. Um. It's been a, a burden, but also it opened up a door for creativity and, and using this brain. Well, I found that it, it puts you in a position for a happy accident. Like for yes. me, Cocktails in the War Room became this show that I do every Tuesday night live on my Facebook page and then on YouTube. But it started with me just using my cell phone going live because I had no other way to connect because I was isolated at home. Right. And now how am I going to communicate? How am I going to com- I'm used to being an essential person yeah. that no matter if it was a marathon bombing or nine 11 or a blizzard, I was always expected to be in the studio. And so normally, if WAF were still around, I would have been in the studio keeping the station running and communicating the way that I've been doing it for 22 plus years. And for the first time, I found myself at home with (laughs) no purpose and no idea what I was going to do next. And my Mm -hmm. main line of communication was also taken away. And I had to create a new way to do what I love to do. To do, right. And I needed the world to stop so the noise quieted down so that I could recognize that happy accident. Yep. And all of a sudden now, I'm starting to realize I can do things and I have opportunities that I never would have realized I had otherwise. That happened to me after three days. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It got quiet. Because you realize, hold up, if I'm communicating on my phone right now, this is a show. Oh, It's not the radio station that made the show. It was me. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And I needed the world to kind of quiet down. I also needed to mourn the loss of my beloved radio station and grieve that loss because... When you do something for as long as I did in the same place, that place becomes part of you. It becomes part of you. And to lose it, it I was in that studio at five minutes of 12 before we started Black Sabbath, just bawling my eyes out. 
Of course, your studio was your Jam Master J. Yes. But Jam Master J was me. The new, without Jay, there's no Run DMC. Right. So when Jay passed, when you left your studio, where is your foundation? Yeah. So people, things, feelings, those things are part of you. You are so much bigger than just this physical casing that we're in. Now, Jay so has been gone. He's been gone 18 years this year. It's crazy. And if if your equivalent is right, I, I've lost my radio station for four months. So can you give me some advice on how it is that you charge forward towards this unknown new horizon? Because you were forced to do it when you lost Jay 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I am now forced to do it because I yeah. lost my station. How... How do you rebuild and and move forward? The first thing you have to understand is it's going to be a totally different presentation. It's not going to be exactly the comfortable, easy way it was. So when Jay passed away, it hurt. Oh my God, it's over. I'm over. Run DMC's over. Everything that I am is over. No, just that presentation of it is over. The spirit is still there. The spirit is still there. The um, the desire and the purpose is still there. But how do I do this without my DJ? How do you do this without my beloved studio that I go to every day. I'm not going to see the doorman anymore and the people at the lunchroom. All of that is part of it. I can't go to Jay's studio no more. I'm not going to see a smiling face. So you still have the ability to survive and move on and cope. But how do I reshape it, repackage it? How do I present it? Everything that you do, everything that humans do, no matter who they are, is about presentation. Presence, here I am, and presentation. This is the way I did it when Jay was here. Jay's gone, but I'm still present. How do I do it now? So for me, I had to look at the purpose and the core um, inspiration behind it. It's all about making music and sharing joy. Why did I fall in love with music in the first place? It wasn't because of hip hop. It was because of rock and roll. What was my relationship to it? In addition to sampling and using funk beats, James Brown beats, disco beats, and jazz beats, we used a lot of rock records to rap over. So when I got into hip hop, the only thing that separated my presentation from everybody else's was Run DMC made rock records. The only thing that wasn't um, live, we always use a live guitar player. Eddie Martinez, who was playing with Quiet Riot, played on Rockbox and King of Rock. Rick Rubin played the guitars on uh, Mary Mary, and it's tricky. And of course, you know, Joe Perry 
played his parts on Walk This Way. Yeah, he's kind of a good guitar player. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's a hometown hero. That's right. Not I. Royalty. So you can relate to that. So when Jay passed away, I said, I can't do it the way I've been doing it with Run and Jay for the last 30 years. So I was lost. So I think, so I thought, all right, if I'm still going to do the thing that I like to do that was inspired by rock and roll, let me just continue to be DMC. But instead of being the DJ hip hop group, let me go get some live musicians and do all those songs that I made live. So now when I come again, people see, ah, oh, that's the guy that we loved. But it's a totally different realm of presentation. Or, like we said earlier, it's a total, it's an extra way that's different and attractive to communicate with the people who's been with you too. Now think about it, Miss Perry. You've been on that station 22 years. The people been with you for 22 years too. So they feel a loss. So how can I do something that's going to not only, it's helping me, but how's it going to help them and how it's going to touch them? So you just revamped your presentation. Your th- podcast is even cooler now <laughs> to have a podcast. You know what I'm saying? You have a TV show now. So actually for 22 years, it was right up under our noses anyway. You have a podcast and a TV show prepared. It's all about preparation. And what I'm trying to say is, like when I said the first three days I was panicking, but then I realized I'm all right. I'm going to do it like I did it when I was in my room 12 years old. All the records that came out in 84 and 85 were songs that I wrote in my room from 79 to 83. So when it was time to go make a record, oh, I got songs. When it was time to go do a video, oh, I want to look like Mick Jagger. You know, I want to look like Bob Dylan. So we always prepared. What you've been doing for the last 22 years was rehearsing for this moment. (laughs) So if you thought your 22 years was good, the next 50 are going to be amazing. Because you have new things around you that you're excited about. You had to follow rules. Like in Run DMC, I was a team player. Jay was the quarterback, Run was the wide receiver, and I was the running back. I'm not going to play quarterback and wide receiver because then it wouldn't work. But now the quarterback is, I'm not on that team no more. I can be everything or anything in the same way that I was that one thing. One of the hurdles that I had to get over was mourning the loss of something great. And I had to go from being sad that it was over to happy that it ever happened in the first place. And that is a universal experience and a stage of grief that you have to go through when you lose something that you love. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard bridge to build between being so sad it's gone, but then being able to go over the hurdle and go, oh, but I'm so grateful that I had it while it was there. Right. You can cherish it. 
You can cherish it. Yeah. A lot of people who aren't distraught and totally caught up in the moment of sadness, they think all I can do is be sad because it's gone. No, the thing that makes you happy is to cherish it. Because then that'll awake you from the sadness. You know what I'm saying? You can look back and appreciate the opportunity. And those are the feelings. The sadness is something that you have a right to have. But to, to cherish and respect it and, and be thankful for it, to have the gratitude for it, that's the thing that's going to help you move forward. A lot of people don't get to that point, though, because you're excited about everything you've done every day, regardless of the obstacles, the hurdles, and the headaches. You know what I'm saying? The same thing you're feeling now, you felt a lot of those days in those 22 years, but you never gave up. So it's almost, when you look back at it, you're allowed to see, man, I made it this far. It's possible for me even to go a little bit further. But a lot of people don't look back on it because they mourn the loss of the thing. Like the thing that gets me through everything I do now, not just artistically as a person, um, I wear the JMJ bell buckle that I always wear. I've been wearing that for 18 years. So wherever I go, even if I'm not talking about what me running Jay used to do, I'm still representing what it meant. You know, when I'm with my new band, when I'm doing my solo hip hop stuff, when I'm doing my comic book, when I'm at a school talking, the thing that made that something I could look back and cherish is still with me now. So even though I'm anxious about what's around the corner tomorrow, there's still a little bit of confidence that it can and will be all right. One of the other stages of grief is anger. For you, you lost Jay in a very tragic and preventable right. way. And there really hasn't been closure from that. None. How do you process that phase of the loss and mourning process? How do you get over the anger? Because you know me and I'm happy mm -hmm. a lot, but yeah. I can get mad and stay in that angry place, mm -hmm. which isn't a healthy place to stay. Right. And so for you, 18 years later, how have you been able to get over the anger of the loss? You have to acknowledge the anger. Of course you're going to be angry. You have already, you have, all, you have every right to be angry. So you can't say don't get angry. What happened to me was something very um, unconventional. And I don't know if this is just because of the type of guy I am, or maybe I always looked into the philosophies of people that I looked up to. Like I'm a big Bruce Lee fan, and I can't believe he said all of this wonderful stuff. John Lennon said a lot of great stuff. Um, David Grohl, some of his quotes that make me go, oh. So I fell into that kind of immediately after Jay passed away. This is when um, I think MySpace was still out. 
So old school. Yeah, that's real old school. And I remember, I don't, I don't post a lot of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But um, I posted, I am not mad at the guy that shot Jay. I should have never did that. Everybody cursed me out. All day, F-U-D, F-U, I mean, profane, vulgar profanity. And Taking it like you right. were okay with his murder. Right, yeah, right. And I said, oh, let me explain myself. I said, my problem isn't with the individual that pulled the trigger and shot Jay and took him away from all of us. My fight is against the mentality that will cause the person to do that. Because not only did he take away Jay, he took away opportunity away from other people because this is what Jay's mentality was. His studio could have been in California, around the corner from Nikki Six studio. His studio could have been in New York City, around the corner from P. Diddy's studio. Jay's studio was five minutes from where he grew up. Why? Because he made it out that door, but he came back and left the door open so it was closer to his community. So the guy that pulled the trigger, for whatever reason he did it, he didn't have the right minds or he didn't have the right information. So I said, creatively through rock and roll, creatively through hip hop, when I look at the base roots of these art forms, our most important aspect of it is, even you on the radio is the audience. So I had to say, okay, Jay's not here no more. I'm mad as hell that somebody took him the way that he went out, was taken from us. But now I got to work even harder at the values and the motivation that um, Run DMC and this music represents. One of the greatest things Jay said um, when we got our Adidas deal, we was the first non-athletic entity to receive a major endorsement from a sports apparel company. Run like DMC I, charted yeah, so yeah. many new paths exactly. that people just don't even realize, and that Everything, is one right. of them. Right, exactly. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover, Rolling Stone. Um, we damn near created rock rap. Like Dave Navarro and David Crow, he said it was you. Kid Rock said Aerosmith and Run DMC had a baby and I popped out. <laughs> and all of those guys, Corn, Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, because of y'all. When we, we were rockers and we was doing it, but when y'all showed us it could be done, took it to a whole level. In the midst of all of that, the big Adidas did deals, um, the Walk This Way video, all of those achievements, Jay would sit us down and say, yo, this is all good, but we gotta watch what we do and say. We represent something. So Jay's not here with me, but the spirit, the purpose, the motivation, and the mentality, I gotta, I was able to turn it off when Jay was here. Cause it only needed to be there in the studio, 
at an interview or on stage. Now that he's not here, I got to live this 24 seven. So in the joy of that, not worrying about what I'm gonna get from it. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the public and the people already gave it to me. You know what I'm saying? Now it's up to me to give back and return the favor. That's the thing that allows me to get up every day and still continue to do what I do in the way that I do it. You talk about the mindset that took Jay 18 years ago. And I really was looking forward to being able to talk to you about this today. We are in a place in the the United States right now, Mm -hmm. socially, that so many people are trying to navigate. I am a white girl from the suburbs in New England. There's There's a house around the corner that was part of the Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. I am someone that grew up loving rock music. And if you could play the guitar and, well, back in the 80s, look good in spandex or like what, like that was all I cared about. And for someone like me that's never been driven by race, Mm -hmm. that has never participated knowingly Mm -hmm. in any kind of, discrimination or when you talk about things like white privilege or I was not raised to deal with any kind of bigotry or to participate in anything like that. To me, I was raised that people that think that way are ignorant Mm -hmm. and you are not ignorant and your family members put on a uniform and fought for this country so that everyone that was in it was equal. But I find myself in this place in 2020 that we are in in the United States right now, feeling like just that mindset within myself isn't enough. And so for someone like you who I love and respect that I've known a long time, how can I be part of the solution because I sure as hell don't want to unwittingly be part of the problem. Right. right. And, and that's on both ends too. You know what I'm saying? A lot of black people do have that problem of animosity and hate because of something. First of all, I think it was Rob Dukes. He was the third lead singer of Exodus. <laughs> Rob Dukes. He said, little kids, it's not their fault. Hate is the thing that must be taught. I said, whoa, whoa, that's deep. And you know why? The things that divide us were made, created, and put there out of two reasons, greed, and ignorance ignorance sounds like a such a bad word because it is sounds worse than the f word and the b word and any cuss word you hear you're ignorant but if you have to call somebody that the reason why it's so powerful because it's true 
you are ignoring the truth. You know what I'm saying? Truth is this. The arts, let's say music. My, my quote was, music succeeds where politics and religion fails. Music is the only culture um, entity that doesn't divide, separate, or discriminate. And what I mean by that is this. Let's talk about religion. I'm not talking about spirituality and religion from the standpoint of using this institution as a thing for progress, unity, and togetherness. I'm talking about organized religion that says, I'm a Catholic, you're a Muslim, you don't know nothing, I'm right, you're wrong. That's the problem. Politics. If I'm Republican and you're a Democrat, we got to beef. We create things that separate us without knowing that it really separates us. Um, there's a video with the Rolling Stones in London in the 60s or 70s. And I think it's either Howling Wolf or Muddy Waters. And Mick and the band is sitting there looking at Muddy like playing a guitar. He was a god to them. Right. But here's the beautiful part of it. I think Muddy said, y'all come up here and join me. Come on up here and join me. So in that room, it wasn't black dude or white. It was dudes playing the guitar from different places, different mothers and fathers, different backgrounds, different situations. But what they were doing at that time shows that we all the same people. When Rob Duke said that everything that's wrong with what's going on is being taught, even from the laws that allow some people to do the things that they do over and over and over and nobody change it. It's gonna take people who are being persecuted and oppressed or whatever that, or attacked or whatever, but it's gonna take everybody else for the truth and righteousness to come to fruition. And <clears throat> when you look at the situation with what's going on, with black men continually getting killed by police officers. After the first one happened, it shouldn't have happened again. The reason why it happens again, because everybody, see, we always say, somebody should do something about that. It's not about somebody or one body. Somebody, one body got to keep being vocal, but it's going to take everybody to change and stop it. Most of my friends are white dudes. Most of the people I perform with on a continual basis is white dudes. Sebastian Bach, Travis Barker, Mick Moss from Motley Crue, Billy Morrison, Steve Stevens, um, 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 Mark McGrath, Dave Navarro, Chris Cheney. So every day I'm with these dudes. It's not black guy with the white guy, it's a bunch of guys just doing music who talk about the issues. When, when the young kids kept getting shot by the police officers, none of my black friends, none of my black friends, I'm talking about 
on an all-out attack. Every time they did an interview, their records didn't reflect it about um, being the mouthpieces to speak up on the social conditions. None of them rose to the situation. Um, I get a call from John Moyer. You John Moyer? The, from Disturbed. The bass player in Disturbed. Yeah. He calls me up, yo D, we gotta do something about this situation. We don't like this. I don't like it, none, none of my friends like it. <laughs> we gotta do a record about all the, sh all the shooting that's going on. You know what? I'm gonna call my friend Miles Kennedy to come sing the chorus. So we did a song called uh, Unnecessary Bullets, talking about the police shootings. So what that shows you is, if there's a situation that you know is wrong, happening to a certain organization, class of people or whatever, it takes everybody at one instance continually to stand up for the rights of the others. It happens with women's lib. The day will not end if the problem isn't addressed. But what it is, is they appeal to everybody. If something happens in the Jewish community and they have their press conference, it's pastors from the black church there, it's Muslim people, it's about people. They, bring, they know how to bring everybody and say, no, we ain't special, it happens to them, it happens to them, but it's not gonna change. The LGBT community, I love it. Don't do nothing to a gay person or a lesbian person. They will have the B-boys and the gangbangers. Yo, that's wrong. It takes all of us. What's happening now, we are politically, politically and, and, and classified. So the walls that exist have to come down first. Then we can have dialogue. David Bowie, this is infamous. David Bowie, white David Bowie was doing an interview about his greatness with MTV. I forgot the VJ that was interviewing. In the middle of the interview, David Bowie goes, why you don't have more black people on MTV? <laughs> you know, you heard about that. I yeah. forgot the guy. The, the VJ was speechless. But David Bowie spoke up about it and change happened. A lot of us are being too quiet. So what we have to do is say wrong is wrong and right is right. Bob Dylan, John Lennon, John Fogarty, whatever social issue was going on, they sung about it. Whether you agree with this side or not, the Vietnam War had all these records about, the artists sung about it. What's happening now is our leaders don't see the value in the people. They think we don't know nothing. We elect them and then they, they, they won't come back and ask, how do we solve the problem? What I'm trying to say is this, when I gotta solve a problem with the adopted kids, and the foster kids, I don't go to the Harvard um, psychology professor. I don't go to people who studied Sigmund Freud and all these people. I bring the little adopted kid in or the little foster kid in. 
can be nine, 10 years old. And I ask some questions. How do you feel about this? What do you think needs to be done? Well, if they were just in me and my organization, the Felix organization, we put those um, suggestions into to work. Well, you were that kid. Right. You I were that kid. Kids. Yeah. Yes. I found out I was adopted when I was 35 years old. So at 35, out of nowhere, I find out that I'm adopted. Then I found out I was a foster kid. But here's a 35-year-old man feeling exactly like that 12-year-old or 10-year-old child who's in the system still. So what should have happened? When uh, Mr. Floyd, when that police officer had it on his neck, the other cops should have said, yo, man, yo, I ain't got to do that. But they don't. Well, two of them were being trained by him. That was their first uh, 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 week on the job. So they probably was taking notes. Or feeling like they weren't empowered enough as trainees to be able to speak truth to power. Right, exactly. That right, who am right, I as a trainee right. to question the, what they've been doing, their procedures or their tactics. Yeah, they were new. So what are, like, I'm not excusing their inaction. What I'm saying is, right. are they feeling like I don't even have a voice Boy, to be able to say this is not okay because I'm the new guy. It's always the new guy's voice who brings the change about. See, that's what we're not getting at. We depend on somebody. I can't have respect for our leaders who's been sitting around for the last 20 years in every situation, the situations in our schools, the situations with the police, the situations, the situation in Flint, all of these social issues, the, the same people we elect know to solve the problem. What's the problem? We all in this room agree that this doesn't happen ever again. If it does, this is what happens. So that's what we need. So it's a period of unrest, but it's so familiar. It's a repetitive cycle. Why? Because nobody is bold enough to stand up and not let those in power ever go to sleep again. <laughs> we let them go, but no, this does not end until we get a solution. Yeah, you don't get to go on vacation, members of Congress, until you fix this. None of that. Because, Carrie, think, think about it Think about it like this. Run DMC had a song called proud to be black, that 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, all the way up to 93, when we dropped down with the King and we were performing a song. It'd be white people right up front saying, you know, I'm proud to be black, y'all. And that's a fact, y'all. And Daryl Mack, man, because it wasn't about black Daryl Mack. It was about Daryl Mack that made him feel good. You can relate to that. Rock and roll had its problems too. Um, uh, I have a friend of mine named K.O. Black Sabbath, uh, Metallica, Slayer, um, Anthrax, diehard fan. 
when he was living in the Bronx. And this is the problem where taught ideologies and even um, shameful um, self-esteem instances. He was a diehard metal fan, but would always wear his metal t-shirts under his public enemy or Naughty My Nature shirt. He wouldn't put on the Ramones jacket. He would wear the Russell Simmons Fat Farm jacket. You know what I'm saying? Until Run DMC comes along with Rockbox. He could not believe these black rappers from New York have Eddie Martinez up on the top of a caddy. The pimps drove the caddy. The Superfly caddies. Remember the caddy? The yeah. big long caddies. Eddie Martinez is on the top, riffing away. He said that was the day he took off his Adidas jacket, put on his spikes, held his rocket tar out his front window, and let everybody know he was Black Sabbath. So also we have a problem where just people within these cultures and institutions who are shamed because of self-esteem issues. Oh man, if, if, if I speak about that or act about that or play that or listen to that, my own people ain't going to necessarily. If they're going to do that to you, then they ain't your people in the first place. Did you develop this mindset because you realized you were representing Queens when hip hop started Queens was not known as an epicenter of hip hop. And when Run DMC started, it was like you guys put your entire community on your back and you were like, we are Queens. We are from Queens. I mean, even talking about how Jay kept his studio. Did you realize from the very early start of Run DMC that it wasn't just about you three guys, that you were carrying your whole community with you? Is that... Is that yes. where you got this mindset from? Yes, it was never just about us. It was about everybody who was listening, everybody who supported us, um, everybody who was happy for what was happening to us. You know what I'm saying? So we said we'd be ignorant and wrong and disrespectful not to acknowledge them to make them feel that they are this. Not that they're a part of it, they are this. You know what I'm saying? And you gotta think about it like this. In the beginning, it was just Bronx and Manhattan who created this hip hop thing. So you said something funny in the beginning of this discussion that I can relate to. I'm from the suburbs too. You know what I'm saying? Look, I'm a black dude, but everything about me was white. And what I mean by that, I went to Catholic school. I was a straight A student. I had both parents in my house, had a brother. My father had a fence. He mowed the lawn. He couldn't afford the Cadillac. He had the poor man's Cadillac, the Electra 225, the Buick Electra 225. Remember those? Oh yeah. But I had both parents. There's nothing was, more white than a Buick. Yeah, a Buick Electric 225. I went to Catholic school. I was a straight A student. I didn't run in the streets. I wasn't in the gang. I didn't sell drugs. I didn't do stick ups. I didn't rob houses. You know what I did? 
in my junior, my junior, my adolescent and teen years in the streets, you know what was in the streets to me? Walking to the candy store or the local drug store. Remember, not the pharmacies, not CVS. Every neighborhood had a local drug store. Where you knew the pharmacist. You knew the pharmacist. He knew, knew the who everybody was. Yes. Yeah, you didn't even have to put the prescription up there. It's for your mother. Yeah, you'll never know what it's like to have to go to that pharmacy. I guess maybe as a guy to try and buy condoms. But when I went on birth control, having to fill my birth control pills with that pharmacist, it was like, don't even right. look at me in the eye. Right. Don't look at me in the you. eye. Right. They know you. Right. But like you said, I was from the suburbs. And I would go to the candy store, the, the drugstore, and get comic books. So all I did was read and collect and draw comic books. And one of the reasons for me, where I was so vocal, people don't love this, true, about shouting out queens. It was a part of hip hop operations. It was a motor operation. I'm from the Bronx, from Brooklyn. Manhattan. You had it too growing up. All the kids from the neighborhood would say where they're from. I'm from the north side of the east side. So that's the part of life. I'm a quiet, shy kid who loved 70s, 60s and 70s rock. Because I was in the house all the time. So I would listen to 77 WABC. Dan Ingram was the owner of personality. Dan Ingram. So he would play Jackson 5, he would play James Brown, Slider Family Stone, but he also would play Crosby, Stills, Young and Nash, Janis Joplin, um, 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 Jim Croce, Harry Chapin, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Elton John. So all of these rock records would play. And a lot of the rock songs would be about sex and drugs and stuff like that, but a lot of them would it be about social conditions? So what attracted me to Fogarty when he sung Fortunate Son, when John Lennon slept naked in the bed for the war, him and Yoko, they was always addressing political and social issues. Blackbird so, by the Beatles was a huge Blackbird. politically motivated song about race. Exactly. The Rolling Stones did Heartbreaker. The boy running through the park, Man pulls out the gun and shoot him, heartbreaker, heart, police shooting, little girl with the drugs. So rock and roll was always like social studies to me. I couldn't relate to Al Green and Marvin Gaye, except when Marvin made What's Going On. But all the other records was about sex and love and stuff like that. I'm a kid. A I comic book nerd. Comic, right. But when the, when the rock, the rock stars, the rock artists, and the folk rock made this song. It was always about Joni Mitchell, cab taxis, the governor and the mayor. So it was like social studies in me. So all of this was in me, but I had no way to let it out. But the thing that allowed me to release my personality that could relate to the black kid in the ghetto and also the white kid living in Beverly Hills were simple little things that I was getting from the comic books. If you understand something, when I said the arts, music, sculpture, poets, if I'm a evil dictator, it's tyrant. Before I come in 
to any city, town, or nation to take y'all over and rule and oppress you and put you to work for me. Before I shoot y'all and beat y'all physically with the back of my guns, I tell my troops, go get me all the poets, go get me all the actors, all the playwrights, all the artists, all the sculptors, all the painters, all the authors, kill them all and burn all the books, burn all the instruments, give me all the microphones, kill all the journalists. Now I got you. So when I was coming up, I saw the power in the things that I did that I was inspired by that gave us all growth, evolution, and power. So the funny thing about me shouting out Queens, I know you're supposed to do that. You know what I'm saying? Even the rock bands do it. You know what I'm saying? We're just a band from Chicago. I'm just another band out of Boston. Exactly. But one of the reasons I was so proud about Shouting Queens is because Stanley, rest in peace, he's my God. He was brilliant. He, first of all, put the superheroes in New York City. So when I read a Marvel comic, it was real to me because I saw things that really existed. DC and Marvel was cool. I love Wonder Woman. I love Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern. But Gotham and Metropolis was trying to be New York. Stan Lee saw the city as a person, a character in these books. So I'm sitting here learning about rock and roll, learning I can make my own songs with all the rock songs that I love. And I got to follow these hip hop rules and these punk rock rules. But then as I was reading my comic book, I discover Peter Parker, he was smart like me. He was nerdy and he was awkward trying to figure it out. But then as I was reading my Spider-Man comic book, I find out that Peter Parker, where did he live? Queens. Peter Parker, Spider-Man lives in Queens. Oh, I'm DMC from Hollis, Queens. The King of Rock from Hollis, Queens. DMC in a place to be a comfort. Kings from Queens, I come from Queens. Not just to big up my neighborhood, but deep down, Daryl has something that he can relate to. Peter Parker, who's a smart student just like me, awkward and clumsy, but he's Spider-Man, lives in Queens. So all of that that I was getting from this make-believe world, pretend, you know, DMC, no, I wasn't DMC yet, Daryl, you into that corny make-believe BS. You're goddamn right I am, because look <laughs> at those words, make-believe. Because when I looked at a comic book, it was the only place I saw powerful people who were smart, that wasn't in gangs, that wasn't selling drugs, that wasn't hurting people. They were trying to do good for people. Batman, Superman, Peter Parker. It blew my mind when I found out most superheroes are orphans or adopted or kids living with a different family. So in this make-believe world, 
I found a power that I possessed, but I had no way to utilize it until Fogarty, Lennon, Dylan, Joni Mitchell, and Janis Joplin, Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five, Curtis Blow, and the Zulu Nation, Africa Bamba, showed me what to do with it. I'm a presence in this world. Here's my presentation. So all of those things, we are, we are products of pop culture. The music we listen to. When you told me that Sully from Godsmack made your theme song, that's your theme song, it's part of your life. But before, see, you was prepared for this because growing up, all your favorite Ozzy songs that you played in your head when you walked out the door, or that song that you listened to in a time of your sadness, or the songs you listened to in, in your happiness. When you look back at the movie of your life, those are the songs that score and are your soundtrack. So all of this stuff made me who I am. And when I walk into a room and I'm looking over at Tom Morello, or I'm looking at David Grohl, or I'm looking at Chuck T, a public enemy, I guarantee you 99% of the things that come out my mouth and I say I'm inspired by, Tom Morello, me, me too. So if we become this in our daily lives, we will know how to sit down at a table and solve the problem. Rock does it all day, music does it all day. The most successful initiatives and campaigns are only done when it's the artist spearheading it because you're not just gonna get the people that love the artist. You're gonna get everybody that love the things that the artist loves. Well, Run DMC did that for me, the white girl in the suburbs that loved rock music. <laughs> I didn't understand rap. I didn't right. I didn't understand why it 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 was even there. It didn't right. represent me. I didn't see myself in it. But then yeah. all of a sudden, there's Run DMC. And then all of a sudden, I was like, well, hold on a second. If Steven Tyler and Joe Perry think this is cool, and the Beastie Boys all of a sudden come out, and all of my friends, like, then I'm like, and I was such a metalhead, and and you talk about music being part of your identity. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. you literally wore it on your sleeve. It was, Mm -hmm. it, it defined who you were, and I was very slow to understand the importance mm-hmm. of the voice of rap right. because it just didn't, number one, it, it, I didn't see myself in it. And number two, right. it wasn't talking to you. It wasn't talking to me. And number two, it was really slow for there to be women oh, for sure, yeah. that took part in that where all of a sudden, like I look at someone like Missy Elliott mm-hmm. and I just go like mind blown at someone creative, that creative writer, artist, person that right charting then new territory, experimenting, so well respected right. in the industry right. that that she took charge and and right. was like, this is how I'm gonna do it, and mm-hmm. I, you're gonna be on my record. She I'm had not a gonna rock be and on roll attitude. Yes, that you correlate. To. Yes, Even she made what she made. It was the attitude. See, that's what happened in the beginning. The hip hop got classified, remember I said that earlier? We get classified and we get departmentalized 
into our things. In the beginning, rightfully so, hip hop was a message about what was going on in the ghetto. It was a wake up call. People looked at New York City, see Carrie, as people like you and all the artists that you interviewed and all the artists you're inspired by that dictate our success. What I mean by that, in the beginning, people looked at New York City and they saw Studio 54. So every time you picked up a newspaper, every time you turned the TV on and you looked at media, it showed you Studio 54. The actors, the actresses, the CEOs, the athletes, the who's who, all the rich people were coming to New York City to party at Studio 54. So people who didn't live here thought New York City was heaven. Because what, what it was Rolls Royces and money, fur coats, sex, champagne, and all of that. So people thought it was good. But it took some young boys and girls out the Bronx to go broken glass everywhere. People pissing on us that don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. So when we said that, people said, whoa, New York people have problems? So now the people down in Tampa, Florida could relate to those guys in the ghetto because everybody has problems. So that that was the, the awakening. But then everything New York, out of New York was depressing. Me, I live in the suburbs. So I know something. I know there's problems, but I know even in the dirt poor ghetto, death, destruction, darkness, and despair, like everywhere else, there's good and fun things. So you're looking at what Grandmaster Flash just said. You're not seeing yourself in it. But you know, like me, know those problems exist. But I can't relate because it's not on my front step. So now here comes Daryl from the suburbs, like you, talking about my mother, son of Byford, brother of I'm talking about my mother and father. You can relate to that. I'm talking about where I live at. Oh, wow, they don't live in the projects. I can relate to that. I'm talking about eating chicken and collard greens and going to St. John's University. I can relate to that. So now you say, oh, I gotta understand this guy. But it took us to say it. You know what I'm saying? It took us to say, oh, I always thought, just like for me, prior to me listening to the songs, and I was like, I heard my father talk about the same thing that Neil Young just said. You know what I'm saying? When Neil Young made 10 soldiers in Nixon's coming, we're finally on our own. You know what I'm saying? When he, that was about Kent University. Oh, I knew about that. was in the headlines and all over. So it was the music that showed us, not that we could, it was the arts, it was pop culture that showed us that not that we could relate to each other, we already are. I sit before you, I'm not just rock and roll like you in the, in the hip hop that you love. 
I'm also the Adams family, the Flintstones, I Dream of Jeannie, Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, everything that was pop culture, wacky packies, hula hoops, slinkies, bikes, all the Play-Doh. But- so we have so much in common if I don't speak about it. If you don't speak about it, those walls will never, never come down. 99.9% of the things that you say, if you walked into a room you've never been into and said it, 10 people will, me too. But unlike you, all those pop culture references that you're talking about, I could see myself in them because they were white. Right. You were growing up involved with all of these pop culture references, but right. you couldn't see yourself in the Flintstones. You right. couldn't see yourself in the Bugs Bunny the cartoons, bunch, right. the, Brady the Brady Bunch, bunch right. all of those things. So. And looking back at it, this for somebody mm-hmm. like me, looking back at it, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't even realize that was a problem. Right. Because... I was white, right? and so I looked around. It it took episodes of All in the Family with Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. and all of and these, the ref- and the Jeffersons and all of that, and took Sanford and Son and that stuff mm-hmm. for me to go, right. oh, wait a minute. These pop culture references that I'm growing up immersed in, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways as a woman, they, right. they didn't represent me either. You're not already too. Right. And, at the time. You're and young. so I, I'm seeing it now, looking at my upbringing, which is why I asked you the question, mm-hmm. because I'm realizing my own ignorance in a lot of ways right. because I just didn't even realize that all of those things that were just the norm, the Brady Bunch, they just didn't even represent you at all. And That's yet you why. still grew up loving them. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's why. Because rock and roll, punk rock attitude, which is the same thing as hip hop is, allowed me to do something. It allowed me to create my own. Okay, nobody's gonna give me a Brady Bunch, so I'm gonna create my own. And you know what? I'm gonna kick the door in on one of the greatest establishments in the iconic world as it is known. What did I say on my album? I didn't see it in the TV show. So in 86, I did a minute and 30 second rap. I didn't talk about having money. I didn't talk about my sneaker deal. I didn't talk about uh, being great. I said, I, The arts, creativity has given me a voice. My old manner, Daryl McDaniels, can be noticed and heard. So I said this, that's the Brady Bunch family. You know what, I got a family too. Son of Byford, brother of Al. Banners my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's, those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree, my mother, my father, my brother, and me. Now, everybody who knows about the Brady Boys, 
those about Mrs. McDaniels, Mr. Vice McDaniels, and my brother Alfred. Please tell me so, that is what inspired Eddie Murphy to make McDowell's and to put Coming to America in Queens. In Queens or Queens Boulevard. But it was just those things. What we didn't have, we was able to create with our music. We was able to speak it into existence. Um, Tim Armstrong from Rancid is producing a song on my new album. Now, punk rock was already doing it. You know what I'm saying? In London, it was big. The DC scene, or Chicago. The Ramones. Yeah, all of it, the, the little spot, punk rock. People forget Blondie, Debbie Harry, made a rap song. Why? Her fans was like, what the hell is a Fat Fat Freddy? Who the hell is Grandmaster Flash? Her, her audience didn't know, but she knew why. Because if you would have came to New York City in the early 80s and you walked into Danceteria or the world, two of the biggest clubs in the cities, when you walked in, you would see Madonna, you would see the Ramones, you would see Basquiat, you would see Keith Haring, you would see journalists, you would see book writers, poets, you would see, oh shoot, they go Grandmaster Flash. Oh shoot, the Beastie Boys just walk by. Oh shoot, the Ramones just walk by. Yo, Lou Reed just walk by. And you would see Deborah Harry up in there with the musicians, the rockers, the hip hoppers, the break dancers, the graffiti artists, the sculptors, the writers, and the journalists. It was an artistic community. The land of, of misfit people. toys, that's what I call it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, a melting pot of all of these cultures. And Tim Armstrong said, we were already doing it. We had our middle fingers up to the world. We're gonna talk the way we wanna talk. We're gonna dress the way we gonna, and we're gonna sound like we do. Tim Armstrong said, the majority of the punk rockers, like the Ramones and Debbie Harry and him, Rancid, when they saw hip hop doing what they was doing, he said this, it made punk rock put two middle fingers up because now they got a community showing us a different skin color, different, showing us the attitude. The Beastie Boys wasn't a white rap group trying to act black. They were a white punk rock group doing the art form of rap. That's why they were so successful. We wore Adidas, real gold chains, gazelles, and a Kango hats. Mike D, to fit in with us, he didn't go imitate DMC. He didn't go spend $5,000 on a gold chain. You know what he did? He took a plastic chain and then went to a Volkswagen Beetle ripped the emblem off, put that on the chain, walked into a room with me and Jay and said, we saw that, yo, real recognize real, regardless of skin color, religion, and political affiliation. So to make, to make Greg Grady know, Black Daryl McDaniels is just like you, I had to see. I got to see his family. I got to see what 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 the the white family does. One of the most 
eternal things for the rest of this universe existence is Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. We made a Christmas song that from a race culture's perspective, a social perspective and a religious perspective will be represented and respected across the nations. What I mean by that is, my rhyme was, it's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken in collard greens, rice and stuffing. I described the meal my mother cooked on a festive occasion. Mr. Scary, when the holiday season comes, I stay out the mall, not because of the crowd and the Christmas rust, because the Jewish people, the Jewish people that wear the hats, the, the, um, the Muslim people, the Asian people, the Pakistani people, the Italian people, when I walk into the mall around the holiday season, not because it's Christmas, because everybody knows what you do with your family on a festive occasion. You sit down and you eat a meal. So I got Japanese people, Chinese people, black people, white people, Puerto Rican, screaming my rhyme about Christmas time, not because it's about Christmas and me, it's a lifestyle. Like you said, your podcast is a lifestyle. They can relate to that. It wasn't until hip hop gave me a vehicle to use my rock and roll energy to say something that people could say, oh, oh, okay, me too. DMC went to St. John's University? That had never been said in hip hop. So most people listen to hip hop in the beginning, they wasn't in gangs, they didn't sell drugs, but I wanna let the world know Neither did I. So it wasn't until that I said it that people could say, oh, that's why I like that guy DMC so much. The guy that wear the glasses. Everybody in the Comic-Con world can relate to me <clears throat> because the Easter eggs, like when you read a comic book or you watch a movie, about something that's going to happen in the next All the little, all the little hints eggs. and hidden things, yeah. Yes, they call them Easter eggs. So for me, on King of Rock, I said, crash through walls, come through floors, bust through ceilings and knock down doors. Rappers don't do that, superheroes do that. So uh, Will Wheaton, all the artists that are sitting artistality that created and drew Captain America, Superman, Flash, and Poison Ivory. They say, D, there was something I always connected with you. It's because my presentation. Run said, I'm DJ Run, I could scratch. I was supposed to go, I'm DMC, I could rap. I said, uh, he said, I'm DJ Run, I could scratch. I didn't go, I'm DMC, I could rap. I said, I'm DMC, I could draw. And went right over some people's heads. But then, now that I got a comic book out, those people, I picked up on that. So I had to say, we can make it's like that. And that's the way it is. And talk about the world because Neil Young showed me I could. I could talk about education. I could talk about um, political um, themes and ideas and concepts 
in a more relatable way so people can understand me because you know public enemy and Karis one might be too scary for you they come in with the straightforward fact this is what it is i come to show you when you say i can't relate to public enemy i can show you yes you can i can say you like the brady bunch right okay you can relate to hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> well you went from being your own thing to all of a sudden being worldwide famous and that yep. logo that run dmc iconic mm -hmm. graphic being mm -hmm. everywhere those gold chains the adidas the kangol hats became the norm and yep. then you got the fortunate or unfortunate situation where everybody's stealing it from you now do you guys have yeah. the most copyright infringed logo yep ever probably so they say the run dmc logo is probably in the top five up there with mcdonald's coca-cola and the rolling stones that's what they say but in every shape form or fashion people utilize that run dms the two bars and something in the middle of it i mean the the most obvious one is every time there's a marathon or a race it'll say run 5k whatever whatever the organizations is run bos um, for boston yeah, or exactly yeah, yeah exactly or um um even obama they had these Obama, they had Obama's picture with the Run DMC glasses on, Run DMC hat, and then had Run OB, OBA or something like that. But now it's used for everything. There's a hot dog restaurant somewhere, there's a pet shop, candy store, in all types of promotion in marketing ours is the most shooter now what's good about that is is people might say do y'all spend your time chasing everybody down with a cease and desist no why because your brand has value and everybody who utilizes it is giving me free advertisement well Not they're tipping their cap to you yeah you I only steal gotta, from the best yeah exactly um yeah um it's flattering what they say that what's yeah. that word is imitation flattering. is the best form it's of flattery or so every time that that logo is used or personalized it's marketing and promoting that, that individual but you know how much money we would spend in advertising to still stay relevant. When I'm long gone, my son's 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 daughters is going to eat off that continual advertising so that in the, in the year 3 million AD, 
the Run DMC. You see it back there. Right? Oh, I see it back there. It'll still be on people's minds. The only time we do cease and desist, if somebody's selling a product that's, if a product is being sold utilizing our label, that's from a major corporation, that yo, don't try to use my juice and do that. You, 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 you Microsoft, you got 50 billion. You, you can pay me. Right. The way our, the, the way our um, iconic logo is known, you might think we'd spent a hundred million dollars on advertising over. No, it's because the people, but it's not about us. I did an interview the other day and I was talking about the whole Run DMC deal. We did something that business, marketing, uh, um, um, streetwear, fashion wear, and, and fashion thought would never happen. But the reason why the, the Run DMC Adidas deal was so iconic is not just because of what we did for business and, 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 and commercial production and all that. It meant something good. When you see the Run DMC logo, you think of positivity, something that is safe, friendly to the kids. It's what we mean that allowed me to have all this success. I could have came along as a gangster rapper, cursed everybody out, shot everybody, made a shitload of money, and just been known as the former guy that made a lot of money doing it. The reason why what I did worked without breaking the sweat is because it's good. Even with the even with the Adidas sneaker, the particular, the shell toe, the one they call Run DMC sneakers, when you see those three stripes on that, it means something good. So the free advertising is verification that I will always be relevant because of the good thing that I did back then that's needed now. Well, you can see it. Please tell me you have seen all of the TikTok videos that people are making with your it's music. Tricky. It's tricky. It's just like the logo. It's tricky to cook. It's cookie, tricky to do yoga. It's unbelievable. It's yeah, it's crazy. It, it's tricky is saying life could be tricky. It's not easy, but it's not hard. You know what I'm saying? And we all can relate. I'm looking at your logo. You like that? Your logo is so perfect. It's who you are. When people see that, they not only think, they're not going to just think of your radio station. They're going to think of you and how you made them feel. So if you put that logo on some kitchen appliances, if you put that logo... Hold on, let me take notes, because I, yeah, I don't got a job notes. anymore. I got to take some notes. Yeah. You guys have the best bathrobe ever. Okay. My Run DMC bathrobe, for, for anybody, it's a black bathrobe. It's got the iconic Run DMC logo on the back. The red bars. With the red bars, the belt. But the coolest yep. part of it is that it comes with a terry cloth gold chain that you can That's wear. So with. Cool. It is so... Please tell me that you still have those original Run DMC gold chains, the big rope chains, do you still have uh, them? Me and Run do not have ours. <sighs> um, but Jam Master J's with the gold Adidas on it is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
What happened to yours? I don't know. <gasps> yeah, I mean, me and Run was really bad because we didn't care about anything. We didn't say nothing. Backstage passes, our first flyers and posters. Because me and Run, we just were, can we get on stage? Like we were little kids. I'm a we pack rat. I save everything. I can't believe I you didn't know. save that stuff. No, we didn't say. Jay saved a lot. His wife um, and his kids, they have a lot of uh, memorabilia and mementos from our, me and Jay, me and Ron, I wouldn't save the flyer. I just want to rhyme and go home and hopefully come back tomorrow and do it. But branding, the, the Run DMC branding has always been um, synonymous with goodness. And that's what I'm happy about. You know what I'm saying? And you're continuing to do that now. I want to talk about the medley that you did with, it's a it's a super group because it's part anthrax, part Volby, yeah. part suicidal tendencies. And you yes. did it to raise money for musicunites.org during mm -hmm. the coronavirus. So, And you guys all recorded your parts separately and yeah. released a video because of the virus. Whose idea was that to do that medley? It came together, oh my goodness. It came together so organically. Oh, who's it? Hold on one second. You're getting hit it up came, on your phone right now. Yeah, yeah. It came, the beautiful thing about that, it came together so or, organically because me and Charlie from Anthrax was on the same feed for doing something virtually or interview during a pandemic. We was on the same feed. Then Charlie knew the person that was reaching out to me too. So he asked, he's funny, he could have came, yo, this is Charlie from man, what's up? But he was so respectful, he went to the person and said, yo, is it okay if I speak to D? Like I, the rock eyes in it. They badass, but some of the nice people ever. So he said, can I speak to D? So, yo, Charlie from Anthrax want to speak to you. I'm like, what? Yo, what? <laughs> so I called Charlie up, and he's been doing those things on his. He's been doing these performances during the whole pandemic. The, the public and the audience is like, Charlie has the best performances on his. So he said, King of Rock and Rockbox. So probably his favorite songs ever. He said, I'm wondering, all oh, humble, if, if, if you and my friends, would you come and sing with me and my friends? And I'm like, who is it? And then he told me the line, I'm like, hell yeah. And easy, so he sends, they record the music. I go and I record my vocals to it, send it back to him. And then he says, yo, we're gonna give this to the world. We're gonna do it for our Music Unites dot org i'm sure carrie this thing came out so good and you know what was good about it it was us being little kids and just jamming out having fun and you know my whole thing was yo i said yo let's just do it um i want to make sure we, we got to do it in a way where we bust run DMC's ass. <laughs> I said, man, we got, and it just came out so beautiful. But the, the, the thing that really elevated its effect was for the reason that we did it. And we did it for Music Unites to, to get instruments 
into the young people's hands so that we could create a universe that is full of Mr. Carries and Charlies and Anthrax and DMCs. That's the beauty of it. But I got hit up, yo, D, this is crazy. So you know what happens. Your presentation leads to the next manifestation. So everybody's like, yo, there's got to be a song coming. It's got to be coming. So right now, they're working on a new original track so we can give the world a new original song that when all this pandemic stuff is over, people who remembered us doing this virtual performance, somewhere, someday, they're going to get us to see, do the performance live and a brand new song that came out of the coming together of these four people in the first place. There is going to be so much amazing music that comes yeah. out hopefully next year because all yes. of these musicians have been yes. locked at home. Yep. Like I talked mm -hmm. to Corey Taylor from Slipknot and Stone Sour. He's like, this is the first time in years that I've just been able to stay home and not do anything yep. and just work on music when I felt right. like it and be creative yep. because you're so busy normally yeah, on tour and doing all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I also asked him this question. He had gotten married shortly before the lockdowns. Um, your marriage, obviously, you guys did okay locked up in the house together? Yes. You guys yes. are good? That's a we, test we actually, of a marriage no, to get locked usually, in a house together. Right, usually you go apart, sometimes this far, sometimes for good. We actually got closer. We're starting to learn those personal things. I'm, 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 I know what she does now when she goes into a room by herself. You would think being married 24 years, 27 years, that I would know, but I didn't, and vice versa. So now we really, being together 26 years is a long time. Now, to be in a position where you can either hate the person for being around it, or come closer because we're learning more about each other. Did she have to shave your head? Because that was one of the things that everybody, like nobody could go get their hair cut. Have you always shaved your head? Do you do it yeah, or did I you shave, go to the yeah, barber do to do it? I shaved myself. Oh, you do? Oh, so you were good. Yeah, my son though. My son, his beard is this big and his <laughs> afro is this big. He's out in LA now. He was, he was out in LA at the beginning of the quarantine. But my wife was like, you get my baby home. So he came and stayed March, April, May, June. He just went back at the beginning of June. His beard is like this. <laughs> Fortunately, I could self-shave myself. I had to dye so, my own hair. It looked like I slaughtered a Muppet in my bathroom. Because you're doing all of this stuff that you usually don't do. Right, I missed Linda, my hairdresser, so much. All of that, yes. Yeah. Yup, it's crazy. It's, it's an awakening, you know what I'm saying? But you know that saying, when something else stops, something else new beginning. I think that's what's happening with all of us. And like you said, I could imagine how great concerts are going to be now. Oh, but right I can't now, wait to go to a concert. Oh my God. And and it, it should be it should be enough groups on there to satisfy everybody's joy. <laughs> Please sing the songs that we missing. But my son, he's 25 years old. Me, him, and my wife, 
we would go out and walk every day. That was so we could get out and be together. But something really powerful happened. Um, in the first week, second week of the quarantine, we was crossing the street at the bottom of my development. And there's this big hill, right? So we're crossing the street and the crosswalk was on the other side, but we didn't feel like walking to the other side. So we just crossed where we was at. So as we was getting in the middle of the, of the, of the road, this BMW was coming down the hill, flying. And then I guess the driver saw us, so he stopped. So we looked, it was a young guy, probably like 28, 29, you know what I'm saying? 2019 BMW, brand new, looking good and spotty. So he stopped and we looked, he very politely waved us across the street. So we thank you, me and son. My son, who's younger than me, he turns to me and says, your dad, I hope this pandemic don't bring out a lot of bullshit. And I said, what you talking about? He said, everybody's so nice right now. He said, I guarantee you, if this pandemic wasn't here, this guy wouldn't have stopped for us because he would have been too busy to go on his way. He would have honked so, at you and probably got mad, right, you off. Person, right. So now that we're slowed down, my son said, when things speed up, I hope people continue to act the way. Everybody's so nice right now, polite right now. But he said, I just hope the week we get the vaccine and they say, we're in the clear for now until the swine flu comes. <laughs> he said, he hope everybody continues the attitude right now. And I was like, wow, that's true. So now everywhere I go, I try to remind people Let's continue to keep doing what we're doing. I had to do all of these virtual um, graduation shout outs to the kids to tell them, uh, we know you don't have a reservation, but this is an important time. You guys are living in a special generation. This is going to be in the history books. But all the problems that we have, if we can fix them now, it's up to y'all to make sure they stay that way. But I was just happy that my son, the millennials, is thinking compassionately. You know what I'm saying? Are there run so, DMC coronavirus masks? Yes, it is. I knew it! Yes, well, yes. I knew Eric it! Eric will send you some. I Eric knew it! Eric will send you some. Yep, we have them. Of yes, course, you are. guys are my blueprint. I have to create my own line of merch now. You have to. You have TV show, I'm, podcasts. I'm stealing all your ideas and making Mistress Carrie stuff because I knew it when I was going to talk to you. I was like, I guarantee you there's Run DMC coronavirus masks. I uh, Of course there yeah. is. Of course there is. Um, what, what, what's the, the cook lady, Rachel? Rachel Ray. Rachel? Yeah, Rachel Ray, you you right up there with her. Yeah, she's got like a she line. She will of... use she will use your products on her show. So <laughs> I cool. gotta have like purple pots and pans. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> for sure. I am so happy to see you. I you know. I are, wish it was in person. I know. I can't wait for you and I for years have been talking about taking the Harleys out and going on a ride. And we have to. someday we are going to make yep. that happen because you're yep. a big rider, too. And, you know, I just ride on everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to social distance right now. You know, for just sure. get out on yep. the bike, man. Mm-hmm. But Enjoy nature. when I knew I was going to talk to you, I knew 
because you are such an intoxicating person because you just ooze positivity. Like you are someone that when you talk to them makes you feel better. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, and, vice versa. Inspiration and, works both ways. I tell people that. I just, I just get so excited now about life. Cause there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. And it's, and real. it's hard right now with as dark yeah. as things can be I both know. with the virus and the isolation and also socially and politically, it's just a really tough time. Mm -hmm. And I just love the fact that there are people like you out there that are saying, you know what? It's really hard. But, but we, it's gonna be but it's gonna be all right, and we are, and we're gonna do it together. And that we're message, all together. that's right. People won't hear me if it ain't for people like you. We're all so many people are doing the same thing, and and that's one of the things with the Felix organization. That what we do is okay. These, this person has their thing. You working with the foster kids. You working with the kids in the group home. We're all doing the same thing. So if we came together, we could get rid of these 10 problems for these kids so we could work on the next 10. And then before we know it, oh, there's nothing to do today. Let's go out and have a party. <laughs> All the problems are solved. <laughs> exactly, until the new ones come. Where, how can people get involved with your organization? Can you give out the website? Yeah, yeah the FelixOrganization.org. Yes. We um, Our main thing is Camp Felix. We send foster kids to a sleepaway camp for one week in the summer. It's a six week program. It costs $500, $500. Send one kid to camp for a week. Changes their life. They get there, it's outdoors, nature. Some of the kids never left the city block. But while they're there, we ask them, what do you wanna be? What do you wanna do? What are your dreams? Um, I wanna be a photographer like Annie Leibovitz. Here's a camera. Next day, next week, the kids got a whole portfolio of professional quality to, um, um, photos. Um, one little girl, I just want to dance. So the New York Dance School comes up to the camp, teaches kids for the week. At the end of the week, there was one girl, never danced before, professionally. So incredible, they gave her a free ride to the school. She had the worst of life ever, abuse, sexually, just the worst story ever. She writes a note, couldn't even write, but she did the best she can. I didn't, I don't believe that somebody would see something in me. I never thought I would get anything or have the opportunity to do anything. Everybody cried. But see, just being there, giving a kid an opportunity, it could change their lives. But it doesn't just change their lives, it changes our lives too. Like this, all of our little children, no matter where they're at in this great world of ours, the orphanages, the group homes, the adopted kids and the foster kids, they are the next great you and me's. There's a mistress Carrie sitting somewhere that just needs the opportunity to, to be introduced to see what you do. So I wanna do that too. So now everything that held them down stays there on the ground where it's at 
and the kid starts to rise. And that's from, I mean, we created scholars, DJs, educators, journalists, dancers, directors, filmmakers, poets. Like these kids are so good. We said, write a poetry book. Amazing. I hope that the the next Mistress Carrie, they they need to they need to give me some room to to put my new thing together before they can come up and take my job away from me. <laughs> they gotta yeah, they gotta give me a running will. start because they, they will. Yeah, yes, they will. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's the, it's it's the Felix organization. Well, I in in my Mount Rushmore of favorite people on the planet. You are up there. You are just an inspiration. I count myself lucky that rock and roll brought two people, you and together. I, together yes. that we never would have met each other any other way. Sure. And yeah. I just think that if more people could look at the world the way that you do, that everything would be okay. And so I am just honored that you took so much time to hang Thank out with me. me. It's so good to see you. I'm glad that your family is happy and healthy and thriving through all of this. And I cannot wait to be at a show and give you a hug right. and be like normal. And for yeah. us to be able to experience music the way it was okay. meant to be experienced, which is live and in person yeah. again. And But until then, I'll take this podcast as... You got to get me and my uh, virtual boys, the super group, to come whenever you do an event. I know you're going to do an event. Oh, hell yeah. You got to get us to come. Charlie said he lives in Chicago. He's just a flight away. We'll come and rock out with you. Well, that's one of the things that I'm going to be doing in the future. Mistress Carrie presents, and I'm going to put together some shows that. For sure. You have to. Somebody's got to pick up what AAF mm-hmm. dropped. Right. And if nobody Overflow. else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it myself. You have to. Girl yeah. power, baby. Yes, indeed. Mrs. Carrie, girl power. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Daryl, I love you. I couldn't love, love you, you more. more. I'm so happy to see you. Thank and you. Uh, let me know when you got new stuff coming out. When oh, you're, will do. You know, when you got yeah. new episodes of the comic coming out, when the new music's coming out, because I know that everybody's yeah. going to want to know all about it. Well, we're getting Sebastian Bach. Love you, Sebastian. Don't laugh at me. We're finally, hopefully, to put out the song that features me, Sebastian Bach, Travis Barker, and Mick Mars from Motley Crue. Right now, we're getting ready to get a bass player from one of the most greatest bands in history to play on it. So when we finish that, I'll make sure you get that. If you only had cool friends, <laughs> if you only knew people that could play instruments. I know, I know. It's unreal. All right, I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Okay, I'll have Eric send you the mask. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Mask. I can't wait. Yeah. Hell yes, for sure. I would love that. And when I make Mistress Carrie ones, I'll return the favor. You must do that. Absolutely. Thank you. And Thank all you, you listeners out there, all you listeners out there, it's going to be okay because together we're going to make sure it's okay. Have a wonderful day and continue. As Stephen Tyler would say, walk this way. Oh, that's how we're ending it. I love you. It's so good love to you. see you. Bye. Bye-bye. There he is, the king, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC. 
You can find his organization that he talked about, the Felix Organization, online at thefelixorganization.org. His comic books, you can find that on Twitter, at DMC Makes Comics. And, of course, his handle, the King DMC on social as well. Such a huge fan. I love him. In the description of this podcast, all the links you need and a link to the podcast playlist. Every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast has a corresponding playlist filled with music that is inspired by or talked about in that week's episode. So enjoy it. You can find me online on Twitter and YouTube at Mistress Carrie and on Facebook and Instagram at Mistress Carrie WAF. Please share these episodes of the podcast. Leave them five-star reviews if you don't mind. Leave your comments and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode because yes, there are surprise episodes coming, I promise. Thanks to Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com and RPM Dynamics at rpmdynamics.com for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much and thanks to everybody in the 75 countries that have checked it out so far. And don't forget, every Tuesday night at 8.30, join me for a cocktail with Cocktails in the War Room live on Facebook. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.